You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. Their witness is reliable. There are many supporting arguments. For example, the consistency of their writings. Put them alongside of one another. And there's a consistency, there's a flow, an accuracy, and there's a blending of all of their writings, all of the things that are contained within those writings, within their epistles. We have also as a witness to this uh, that validates the, the fulfilled prophecies that are contained within the scriptures. Many people question the Christian faith. How does one verify scripture as truth? In today's message with Pastor Mike, he shares how the first four books of the New Testament were written by four different individuals, yet contain many similar stories. Four witness statements are stronger than one, especially when they are consistent. Secondly, we know many of the prophecies in the Bible that have come true. We can also know the Bible is true from the many lives that have been changed because of its teachings. Now, here's Pastor Mike in the book of 1 John chapter 1 as he begins his message, John's Declaration. First John chapter 1, and the text that we're going to be treating this evening is found in verses 1 through 3. Verses 1 through 3, and this evening's message, the title is John's Declaration. John's Declaration. So with that said, let's go ahead and read that text. So 1 John 1, verses 1 through 3. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, obviously this is a reference to Jesus, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. That's just another way to describe Jesus, who he is, the word of life. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about John writing this particular epistle. John is writing to first century Christians living in that world that was filled with its many problems. But you know, the truth of the matter is, the world past and present, the world in which we live today, have always been filled with difficulties and problems. Some manifestations may be different, yes, 
but the root cause of the problems that we face in the world back then as well as today always remains the same. And that is sin. Sin is the root problem of man's problems. Now, the ministry of the church is to deal with these problems, to strike a blow against the disease of our world. You see, the church is not called to treat symptoms. We'll leave that to the therapists and the psychologists. So what is the medicine? What is the great cure-all for the ills of mankind? Well, the answer is simply, it's the full message and light of the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Listen, the first century Christians were face-to-face with the same things as we are today. And so the question is, what does the New Testament gospel say to people living in a world like that? Well, it doesn't tell them how the world can be put right, but it rather does tell them how they can be put right in spite of the world. How that they can triumph over it and have joy in spite of it. And so basically, that's what 1 John is all about. So, the church's business is not to try to discover world unity and order, but rather to witness to the finished and complete work of Jesus Christ. And isn't that exactly what we have here in John's epistle? So with that said, let's, let's go back to our text now. And that brings us right up to our first point, And that is, the gospel is a declaration, a manifestation, and a showing. Now let's go back and read once again verses 2 and 3. Notice John says, The life was manifested, that is Christ's life, and we have seen it, bear witness, declare it to you, that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Now, i got to tell you something. I rather like the King James Version and translation of our text of Scripture that we're treating this evening. Uh, and in the King James, it, the translation is just a little bit different. There, John tells us, we show it unto you. So John says, we show it unto you. That is all of the things that he had experienced firsthand. You know, all of the miracles, all of the teaching. He was an eyewitness. And and in his epistle, it, it is his occupation to show these things unto us. Now, in our text of Scripture, verses 1 through 3, the two key words are declare and show. Declare and show. You see, the gospel is an announcement. It's not a speculative statement, a human thought, an idea, a philosophy, an outlook. It's completely and totally different. You see, that's the problem. Too many people think the Bible is nothing more than human thoughts, man's ideas fabricated to address history's problem. But that's not the gospel at all. The whole position of the apostles, which, of course, John, the whole position of the apostles is that they have something to declare, something to say. They have seen something, 
They have experienced it for themselves, and they are reporting its wonderful outcome. And notice the straightforwardness of this epistle. What's different about John's epistle from most of the other New Testament epistles, have you taken note of this? There's no preliminary salutation or greeting or protocol. Whereas, like, for example, in many of the Pauline epistles, as Paul is writing to the different churches, he addresses them, first of all, as saints at a particular location. Like, for example, on Sundays, we're studying the epistle to the church at Philippi. And he greets them, first of all, as the saints at that particular location there in Philippi. And then he greets them in a variety of different ways. Usually he greets them with the greeting of grace and peace, which of course would have been the grace, would have been the salutation used to address the Greeks, and peace, shalom, would have been the salutation used to address the Jews. But notice there's none of that here in John's epistle. And so here is a man who has something so amazing to say, he knows that the people need to hear it, so it's sort of like he's just simply cutting to the chase, and he plunges them into the heart of this mighty message that he has to deliver. There is nothing uncertain about this message. It is a proclamation, and there is an urge and an authority behind it, and that is why there is no place in the pulpit for phrases such as, and unfortunately too many times we see this happening in some churches, I hopefully never happened here, where the pastor standing behind the pulpit might comment on a particular verse of Scripture and say, may I suggest to you, like it's some kind of an option, rather than an absolute. Or, on the whole, I think, or the results of research and knowledge and speculation all seem to point in one direction. Listen, folks, that is not the gospel message. John puts it this way. These things declare we unto you. So we're not putting forward a theory which is a possible explanation of the world and what we can do about the world. The gospel is a herald. It is like a man with a trumpet who is calling people to listen. There's nothing tentative about what he has to say, and his business is to repeat it, to deliver it, and that's the position of New Testament preachers, both men and women. Whether you're the senior pastor of the church delivering the message on a Thursday evening or a Sunday morning or at a seminar, or you're the women who is a leader in the women's ministry addressing the younger women, That's the way that we are to deliver the message of the gospel. There's nothing tentative about it. All we need to do is deliver it. And that's the position of all New Testament preachers. So John says here, I have an amazing thing to reveal to you. It's a declaration, a proclamation. And folks, that's the responsibility of the church on the whole. But the way this is also, if you think about it, by the way, this is also an indicator of a thriving church. That is a a church who has placed a very high premium upon preaching 
the gospel. I mean, think about it. If a church isn't preaching the gospel, it's probably because they are unsure of the message and uncertainty about miracles or the new life or the things that are supernatural or the person of Christ. All of those things are just an indication of hesitancy and doubt has come in. And listen, when the church has departed from preaching the gospel, has departed from declaring and showing, right, which is our first point, we therefore departed from the New Testament position, and it won't be long till we become cold, lethargic, and dead. This, then, is the message for the church herself. At this time, in the world in which we live, with all of its complications, with all of its problems, we must cease to hesitate or to be nervous or uncertain or apologetic. We need to stand by these things that are recorded in God's Word. And if we stand by them, we won't have to consider the question of falling. And so anyway, that's the first principle here that I want to draw your attention to. This message that is contained here in 1 John is a proclamation. But that's true of all of the Scriptures, both Old and New Testament alike. It's a proclamation. And that's what we've been called to do, is to proclaim God's Word. Now, the second principle here is that this declaration of the church, that is the gospel, comes to us on the authority of the apostles. And as a cross-reference for this, in 2 Peter in chapter 1 and verse 16, now Peter was one of those apostles who were called to proclaim the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And notice what Peter says in his epistle in 2 Peter in chapter 1 and verse 16. He says, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables. A group of guys got together and they fabricated this message and we wrote it down and then they recorded it in these, in these books by their own names. No, these weren't devised, cunningly devised fables, fabrications. When we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were I witnesses of his majesty. In other words, their gospel was based upon what they have said. In all of the writings, whether it be the Pauline epistles or the epistles of John or the epistles of Peter, their messages, their books, were based upon what they have said. Go back to our text, for example, in verses 1 through 3. Notice the phrases, we've seen it, that phrase is used no less than three times, heard it no less than two times, and then handled it at least one time. So this message is what the apostles have seen, what the apostles have witnessed, shared, and experienced together. You see, Christian faith is based upon facts, not ideas or experiences. The Christian position is that we accept and believe the apostles' testimony, that these things were reported, in fact, did happen. And listen, you can test the witness of these men. Their witness is reliable. There are many supporting arguments. For example, the consistency of their writings. Put them alongside of one another. And there's a consistency, there's a flow, an accuracy, 
and there's a blending of all of their writings, all of the things that are contained within those writings, within their epistles. We have also as a witness to this uh, that validates the, the fulfilled prophecies that are contained within the Scriptures. We have also the changed lives of the apostles who wrote those epistles. Think about the transformation that they went through. Like, for example, Paul is probably one of the most uh, profound examples uh, of this, how that their lives had dramatically changed. Paul went from the prime mover in the campaign to squash Christianity to the prime mover in the campaign to advance Christianity. And then also consider how that they were willing to lay down their lives. And many of them were martyred for their faith in Jesus Christ. So if their eyewitness or the things that they wrote down in their epistles were fabrications, do you think that they would have actually laid down their lives for the things that they were testifying to? If it came right down to it, I mean, man would do anything to save their own lives. So if they were threatened with the loss of, of their life, certainly they would have recanted the things that were recorded in their writings, but they didn't. And so they were faithful even to their being martyred for the things that they testified to. So basically, it is what they say. And folks, that's it. The reliability of the apostles' testimony. I mean, take out the apostolic testimony, and what do we know about Jesus? I mean, think about that. Even those who are critical of the Bible had to sit down in their studies to reconstruct their Jesus of history. But what do they know apart from these documents? Isn't that true? Right? Even those who are antagonistic in their writings towards Christianity. So, for true knowledge, we must come back to these writings. It is a testimony that holds together a complete whole view. Take parts out of it, and it becomes lopsided. It either has to be taken as it is or totally rejected. So first and foremost, therefore, there is this report and then my experience as the result of believing the report. Now, what am I suggesting? Well, okay, you know, you look at these different documents, these letters, these epistles that these men wrote, the, the apostles, and we consider them. And we put those things, the instruction that are contained within those epistles, into practice. And therefore, we experience the fruit of putting those things into practice in our own lives through experience. Right? Isn't that true? And, and that validates then the teachings of the apostles. So I thank God it is supported by experience, but experience can never do anything beyond supporting it. So we don't walk with God on the basis of experience. Of course, we need to be very careful about that because the devil can counterfeit experience in people's lives. So don't base your life upon experience. Base it upon facts, the facts that are recorded in the Word of God. And then your experience will be a true one, and you'll know it for a surety. God always backs up his Word, right? And the person who just gives himself to the instruction of the word will experience those things for himself. What God has promised us in our obeying his word. Okay, so what have we said? The gospel, I repeat, is a declaration, is a showing, 
and it comes to us on the authority of the apostles. Now, that brings us to our third and our final point. So, what is its message? Well, what is, and that brings us to our third point, the essence of the message is Jesus Christ. All of the writings that are contained within the Old and the New Testament point us right back to Jesus Christ. And what an amazing message the Scriptures give to us. I mean, think about it. God left eternity, came into time, and went back into eternity. Notice in the very first verse of John 1, referring to Jesus, is that which was from the beginning. Jesus, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And so the essence of the message is always the person of Jesus Christ. So John is saying, on the face of this earth, on which you are still living, we're all living, with all of its problems, with all of its difficulties, with all of its struggles, trials, and tribulations, the Son of God himself has come. And when he had the amazing privilege of seeing, that is John, hearing, examining, and touching him, it has changed everything for him. It had changed his goals, his attitudes, his outlook, his hopes, and those are the things that he wants to share with us in writing his epistles so that we might also change our goals or prioritize at least our goals, our attitudes, our outlooks, our hopes. Notice in verse 1, the way that Jesus is recommended to us here is the word of life. That is the word who not only shows us life, but gives us life. In fact, Jesus came into this world to impart true life to us. Not only life in this present world, but also the hope of eternal life. He is the one who makes this possible for us. So in this world of time, with all of its problems, with all of its difficulties, with all of its struggles, we can experience a divine order of life. We can actually possess the life of God. We can be partakers of the divine nature, sharing that divine life itself. Folks, this is the message of the Christian church to this weary, tired, frustrated world. Uh, Paul refers to it in his writings as holding this treasure in earthen vessels. And so if we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, we have become one of God's kids, citizens of his kingdom, a kingdom that can never be shaken and that will last world without end. Amen. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh my heart. We're so glad you joined us today on In My Father's House for our continuing verse-by-verse study through the book of 1 John. If you'd like to hear more messages from Pastor Mike, please visit our website at harvestnyc.org. You can view his past teachings when you click on the Vimeo link or listen online. Just click on the Resources tab to find out more. 
Sometimes life can get busy, and between work, family, and all your other obligations, it's hard to find the time to dig deeply into the Bible for yourself. We want to encourage you to make time with the Lord a priority in your life. And we have some great resources linked at harvestnyc.org to help you do just that. We also invite you to join our mailing list for daily devotionals. You can sign up at harvestnyc.org. If you're in Midtown Manhattan and looking for a church home, come visit us here at Harvest Christian Fellowship. We meet every week for worship, Bible study, and fellowship. It's easy to get here. You can reserve your seat and get directions at our website. If you can't make it in person, that's okay. Join us on the live stream to participate in our services virtually. Just follow the link at harvestnyc.org. And be sure to give us a call if you have any questions. 212-247-1877. That's 212-247-1877. That brings us to the end of our study today. Join Pastor Mike next time to continue learning and growing in faith right here on In My Father's House. Oh